My guess is that you have been in this place before. My guess is that we have all felt this pain that I'm about to describe to you. It could have been sitting at the dinner table. It could have been this morning in your Sunday school class. It could have been the last time that you were at some sort of church meeting, either up here or at a common table in somebody's house, right? I don't know when it happened to you last, but my guess is that you've been here before. And really, I don't have any doubt. I I know that if you're sitting in this room, then you have felt this pain before. You've heard the question, the question that makes the hair on the back of our neck stand up, it makes our hands sweat a little bit, it makes us want to avoid eye contact with everybody in the room, it makes us a little fidgety, like you, your eyes kind of dart to the exit without even thinking about it when you hear this question. Here's what it is. Who feels led to pray for us? I mean, come on, Right? That's how it makes you feel, isn't it? Or even worse is when someone looks at you and says, will you pray over dinner? Will will you pray for us here? I mean, that didn't get as big of a laugh as I thought it was going to get. I really built that up and then like it kind of fell flat a little bit. But I'm guessing you didn't laugh because it's kind of not funny uh, because you feel that pain. I cannot tell you how many meetings at the church I have been in where someone has said, who feels led to pray for us? And we go from eye contact to the floor, like immediately. And I'm one of them. I do it too. I, uh, I know this feeling all too well, as you, as you can probably guess. I am what I refer to as the DRP of my family. Maybe you serve as the DRP of your family too. DRP stands for designated religious person. That's my role in the family. So I know that anytime we have a family gathering, anytime we eat dinner together, anytime we're all together for a holiday, I know what my job is. In fact, they really don't even have to ask me anymore. An aunt or an uncle will just kind of cut their eyes across the room at me and I know like, yep, okay, it's time for me to not only pray, but get everybody to be quiet so that they can listen to me pray, whether they're really into it uh, or not. And, and I, like, I get it, right? I'm a professional Christian. This is what I do. I, I get paid to be a Christian. So I totally understand why I have been given this job of DRP in my family. And if I'm being honest, I've gotten to the point now where I feel like I can almost pray on command. Like, no matter the situation, no matter the scenario, no matter what's going on, I, I know that at any moment, literally any moment, I could be called on to pray. I was thinking about that this week, and it made me think about those things that we did as kids, or I did them as kids. Maybe kids still do them, I don't know, called Mad Libs. You know, where you like, you write down three or four nouns and three or four verbs, like maybe some adjectives, but you do it blind, and then you go to the story, and you fill them all in. This may be bad to say. That's kind of how I feel about prayer sometimes, like at, at big functions, you know? Like I was thinking about this last 4th of July. My uncle asked me to pray, and I remember like kind of looking around, right? Okay, right? 4th of July, the sun is out, we're eating barbecue, everybody is together, and my aunt just brought up politics. All right, I'm ready. I got, I got everything that I need to know in the room. I'm ready, let's pray. This morning, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about prayer. We're in the third week of our Capital Campaign Sermon Series which is a journey that we're taking as a church. We started it two weeks ago, and it's going to culminate on November 6th. That's our Consecration Sunday. We're going to ask you to bring up your pledge cards and make your financial commitments to the church. And we've been talking about how we have two separate things running simultaneously right now. We have our operating budget campaign, which is just the normal operating budget for the church in 2023. Next year, that's just your normal giving. 
And then this year is a little bit different because we also have a three-year capital campaign that will start in 2023 and end in 2025 with the goal of raising $1.8 million, which, if successful, will completely get this church out from under debt, out from under the mortgage payment that we're currently paying every month. The first week, we talked about what it means for us to be the body of Christ, what we mean when we say we are the body of Christ. Last week, we talked really specifically about the charge that Jesus gives us as the body of Christ. It's a charge that we often call the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, to spread the name of Jesus, to share the gospel. And then this week, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. When people think of a capital campaign, when people think of stewardship, I think they usually jump straight to finances. And that may be the church's fault, because usually when we talk about capital campaigns, when we talk about stewardship, we are referring to finances. But I think a a pretty big overlooked area of how we as a people of faith can steward our church is prayer. So what I'd really like to do this morning is, is maybe just hit the pause button a little bit from talking about supporting the church with our financial resources, and instead this morning talk about what it could mean for us as a, as a community to steward our church with our prayers. And if I'm being honest, one of the things that I'm hoping we can do this morning is, is maybe demystify prayer just a little bit. So that maybe we can get a clearer understanding of what I think prayer actually is, of what I, of how I think we should be looking at prayer, which is a way for us to care for our church and to care for one another. I think those are two functions of prayer. But I also think prayer is a way for us as believers to call upon and to give thanks for and to just be in the presence of God. Our scripture reading from this morning is from the Gospel of John. It's from chapter 17. And the whole block of scripture is verses 1 through 26. But you'll see up there, I've kind of cut it short just a little bit because I don't think we need to read all of it. But I do want you to know that that is all of John 17, verses 1 through 26. And all of it is a prayer that Jesus prays when he is with his disciples. So let's let's read it together. We're going to start at verse 1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I've made your name known known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I gave to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you sent me. I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours all mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. 
As you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. This scene, this prayer, is happening right before Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and killed. It's it's right after this passage, the very beginning of chapter 18 in the Gospel of John, where Jesus gets up from where he is with the disciples and makes his way to the garden to find some stillness and, and, and alone time with God. And it's while Jesus is in the garden, remember, that Judas brings the high priests and the police and the troops to come and, and take Jesus into custody and, and really begin that process of him getting closer and closer and closer to the cross. So the last thing that Jesus does before he is captured, the last thing that Jesus does with his disciples, but also the last thing Jesus does alone is pray. And so I think there's something to be said just about that, right? That, that the last, what Jesus does with his last hours of freedom is make sure that he has a moment to pray with his disciples, with those who were closest to him, and also that he has a moment to go and be with God alone, and be in prayer just with him and the Father. So I would say to you this morning, if you find yourself asking the question, or if you have asked the question before, why should I pray? Why should I care about prayer? Why should I try and make prayer a regular part of my spiritual life or of my relationship with God? The best answer I can give you, and I get it that this isn't the most fulfilling answer in the world, but the best answer that I can give you to those questions is that you should prioritize prayer in your own spiritual life because Jesus prayed. That's it. I mean, that's the best that I can come up with. I think that's the bare minimum that we should be doing with this passage, is see that we should be a people of prayer because Jesus was a person of prayer. If Jesus sought out time to pray with those closest to him, then I think we should seek out time to pray with those closest to us. If Jesus made it a priority to go and find stillness with God, especially before facing something pretty massive in his life, then I think we should make it a priority to go and find stillness with God, especially before we're going to face something massive in our life. So I think that's the first part that we should be gleaning from this moment that we, that we share with Jesus when he's praying. But I also think there's a little bit more going on than just that. I think Jesus is actually trying to teach us how to pray here. The Gospel of John is a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's structured differently. It includes different moments in Jesus' life, and it uses different language to describe what Jesus is doing. And one of the things that sets it apart from those other Gospels is how and when Jesus teaches us how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says to his disciples, pray like this. And then he tells them the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that we still pray today. A really similar thing happens in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 11. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. 
And then again, he gives the same Lord's Prayer that we still pray today. But here in the Gospel of John, we don't have a moment like that with Jesus. At least we don't get a moment like that where it's as clear as it is in the other Gospels, where Jesus is teaching us how to pray and making sure that we don't miss the fact that Jesus is teaching us how to pray here. But the more I sat with this prayer and and the more commentaries I read, I kind of discovered that that most people think, most people assume that that moment in the Gospel of John of Jesus teaching us how to pray is this moment, is this chapter of Scripture, John 17, that here Jesus is trying to teach his disciples how to pray, but also trying to teach us as the reader 2,000 years later how to pray. And so if that's true, I want us to look at how Jesus prays. What what does Jesus pray for? How does he structure his prayer? The first five verses of that scripture that we just read, verses one through five, Jesus prays for himself. He prays that God would sanctify him. He prays that God would go with him. He prays that God would bring him to glory, the glory that he once was at the beginning of time so that others would see who Jesus is and come to believe in him. The first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. But after that, then he starts to pray for others. And he starts with praying for the disciples. And it takes him a little while to get to what he's explicitly praying for. But if you remember... Jesus prays that they would be protected, that they would be one, that they would be unified in mission and in spirit, and that they would be sanctified, that they would grow, that they would grow as individuals, but that they would also grow in their relationship with God. He prays that all these things would happen even though he is about to be absent, even though he's about to go and be with the Father after he faces the cross. And then Jesus prays for us. And you may have missed it. But in verse 20, it was towards the very end of what we read together. This is what Jesus says. I ask not only on behalf of these, which is the disciples, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those. That's us. Also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word. So Jesus is praying for anybody that comes to believe in him through the testimony of his disciples, which is us. It's all of the church, right? Because the only reason that we are all here is because the disciples went and did their job. That's what the whole book of Acts is about, the early church. So Jesus, in this prayer, right before he faces the cross, he actually prays for us. He prays for you and for me. For the people that would come to be in relationship with him because of this seed that he is sitting here with in this moment in those 12 disciples. So when when you break it down like that, I know Jesus' prayer may have read like it was this dense, wordy kind of masterpiece. But when you really break it down to what Jesus is actually praying for, at least for me, it suddenly becomes really simple, right? The first five verses, Jesus prays for himself for his own walk with God, for his own journey, for, for the own trajectory of his life. And, and then Jesus prays for others. And then Jesus begins to pray for us. It's, it's a pretty simple formula for prayer that Jesus gives us here. But I think prayer is just, it's just kind of a funny thing in our Christian culture. 
I think, I think we've really overcomplicated what it means to be in prayer, what it means to be a people of prayer, what it means to have an active prayer life. I mean, I mean what, what is it that causes people to have such a discomfort with praying? But why is it that people really do, I mean, all jokes aside, right, really do kind of dread that question, even in a small group setting of will you pray for us? Why is it that we have this, this fear or this feeling of, of inadequacy when it, comes to, when it comes to praying? Is it because we think the language has to be perfect and, and poetic? Is it because we think that unless we recite the perfect prayer that checks all the boxes, it's not going to work, that God's not going to hear it? that God's not going to acknowledge it. I remember in seminary when I first started to get the opportunity to give the pastoral prayer at the church that I was working at. It was a pretty big church with a pretty big sanctuary service that was, that was smells and bells, right? I mean, it was the organ and the whole nine yards. It was very high church. And so I felt this pressure when I first started giving that pastoral prayer that it had to be exactly that, that it had to be this, this masterpiece And I would find myself writing out three to four page prayers that told the whole story of salvation and used all these words that I would never use in my everyday language. And I did this for months until it finally hit me. And I don't remember what it was that made it hit me, but it finally, I think it was probably when I was sitting down writing one of the prayers on a Friday. Why am I doing this? I I am making this so much more complicated than it needs to be. Kind of reflecting on prayer this week, what I've, what I've come to realize is this, that if you're like me, you know how to say what you need, you know how to verbalize what you're worried about, or, or what you're having anxiety about in this moment, or what you may be looking at that's coming ahead in your life that, that makes you feel a little bit fearful. You know how to say that you regret doing something, that you wish that you had handled that differently. You know how to pray for your friends and your family in your life that may be experiencing grief. You know how to care for them. You know how to say, man, I'm really worried about them in the midst of this grief. We know how to say we're hungry. We know how to say we need something to eat. We know how to say that something is hurting us. We know how to express pain. We know how to say what we need. But for some reason, for some reason, we just don't feel equipped or comfortable saying it to God. And I wonder if it's because we have put prayer in this, in this box. In this box that we have convinced ourselves is unapproachable or untouchable. Maybe a box that we don't feel like we're fully qualified to, to open. And I, I just don't think that's true. I, I just don't think that's true. I wonder how our prayer life would change. I wonder how your relationship with prayer would change if you were able to break out of that box, whatever box it is that you've put, that you've put prayer in. Or how your relationship with, with God or with your faith community, how that would change if you were able to break prayer out of whatever box that, you have, that you've put it in. I wonder what would happen if you began to look at prayer as a conversation between you and God that you are worthy of having, that you are called to have with God, that God desperately wants to have with you. My guess is that all of you would love that. 
My guess is that you hear me talk about that kind of relationship with prayer and you say, yes, that is what I would like for my prayer life to look like. That is what I want prayer to feel like for me. I want my day to feel like it's missing something if I haven't had a moment of prayer with God yet. But Ross, I just don't know where to start because I've heard that before. Ross, I want to make prayer a bigger part of my life, but I just don't know how to pray. Ross, I want to grow in my prayer life, but I just, don't, I just don't really know where to start. It just seems so intimidating and so big and so vague. I, just, I kind of feel stuck. I want this to be a bigger part of my faith, but I just, I just don't know how to make that happen. If that's familiar, if that's where you are, if you've said that before, if that's what's going on in your head, then I have a practice that I'm going to recommend to you. And you can take it or leave it. It has worked wonders for me in my own prayer life. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine that we kind of talked through our sermons together, and he also does this practice every night before bed, and it has totally transformed his relationship with prayer, his comfort with praying, and, and his ability to be in prayer and in the presence of God. And it's super simple. It's called the five-finger prayer. Have y'all heard of this before? It's called the five-finger prayer. So when I do it, I do it when I'm laying in bed. I do it, I do it right before I go to bed, and, and here's how it works. So it's basically a guided prayer, and you use your five fingers to guide you through it. So usually when I'm laying in bed, I'll, I'll hold my hand just like this, and first I'll grab my thumb, which is pointing towards me, and it's also the closest finger to me at that time. And when I'm holding my thumb, I pray for those who are closest to me. So that includes my wife Madison, and my son Reed, it includes my parents and our family, any friends that I have that I consider to be my really close friends or that I've seen this week. I pray for those people when I'm holding my thumb. When I'm done with that, I'll grab my pointer finger as well. And when I'm holding my pointer finger, I pray for those that point the way. That's when I pray for the local leaders in our community. I pray for our police officers and our first responders and our firemen. I pray for our teachers. This is when I, I spent some time praying for our church. Anybody in our local community that you feel like has the pressure placed on them to point the way to be a leader, that's who I pray for when I'm holding that pointer finger. The, your middle finger is your tallest finger. And so that's when I pray for those really big things that seem too big for me to be praying for here in Hoover, Alabama. That's when I pray for war, right? That's when I pray for peace. That's when I pray for all the hungry people in the world. That's when I pray for our president and for our government. That's when I pray for all those things that you see on world news. You don't really know what to do about, but you feel this pressure to be, to be thinking about that and to be asking God how he might be using you to bring remedy to those things. So that's when I pray for those really, really big things. Your ring finger is your weakest finger. And so that's when I pray for those that are most vulnerable. That's when I pray for those folks that are here in Birmingham that are cold on the really cold nights that we have coming up or folks that are hungry. That's when I pray for, for relationships that are broken, for women that are stuck in domestic abuse. That's when I pray for folks that are grieving or hurting or sick. Whoever is vulnerable in my life, that's when I pray for those people when I'm holding my ring finger. And your pinky finger is the smallest finger. And that's when I pray for myself. That's when I pray for guidance and for wisdom. That's when I pray that God would grow me. That's when I pray that God would bring clarity to my eyes for where he is calling me and who he's calling me to be. And, and here's what I love about, about this prayer in particular, especially for, for this day. One, I think it's really simple. I think it's a really great place to start. 
thumb, right? Those closest to you. Pointer finger, those who point the way. Middle finger, those big things that seem way too big for us to be praying about. Ring finger, the most vulnerable people in our world. And pinky finger, ourselves. I think it's super simple. I think it's a great place to start if you don't know where to start when it comes to making prayer a bigger part of your life. But what I also love about this is that this matches the way that Jesus prays. If you remember, the first five verses of our scripture is when Jesus prays for himself. And then the other 21 verses, even though we didn't read all of them, but the other 21 verses, Jesus prays for others, which means Jesus prays for himself 20% of the time, and he prays for others 80% of the time. And that five-finger prayer leads us to do the exact same thing. We pray for others four out of five fingers, and we pray for ourselves one finger. It leads us to pray for others 80% of the time and to pray for ourselves 20% of the time. So friends, I'd, I'd leave you with that. Really practical, really simple, right? I think I've heard too many messages on prayer that just leave you up in the clouds and tell you that you need to make prayer a bigger part of your life. And I just really didn't want to do that this week. So if that practice is helpful for you, I hope you will take it and use it. If it seems like something that could work, then change it. Adapt it. Make it something that works for you or meets you where you are in life. But really what I want you to gain from this more than anything else is I promise you prayer is not near as complicated as you may have built it up in your head to be. And I firmly believe, I firmly believe that either this five-finger prayer habit or anything that you find in your own walk with Christ that allows you to be more engaged with your prayer life, that, man, it has the potential to totally transform who you are as a follower of Jesus. I think it has the potential to completely transform your family. And I think it has the potential to transform who we are as a church. Because that's really part of my hope as we make this journey in this capital campaign. Is that yes, right, by the time we get to November 6th and by the time we get to the end of 2025, that we would have had a successful campaign financially. That we would have been able to raise the financial resources that, that we need, that we have set goals for. That, that's part of it, of course, right? But I mean, I'm also really hoping that we can grow as a, as a body of believers, as, as a community of believers, that we would grow in our ability and in our willingness to steward our church, to steward our lives with prayer. Because friends, I think the only thing it's going to do is draw us closer to Christ and make us more able to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our community. And, and I don't know about you, but man, I believe that's our call, both as individuals and as a church. So friends, I hope you'll accept the challenge. This capital campaign, not only steward the church with your finances, but also steward the church with your prayers. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.